Hello, my name is Russell Howcroft. I've lived a lot of lives. I've been an ad man, a CEO, a chair, an author, a panellist, and I'm currently co-host on the radio show on 3AW. I'm also partner and chief creative officer at Sayers Group, and I'm the host of this podcast. Welcome to Conversations, a Sayers podcast. Throughout my time, I've learned that so much of life starts with, yes, a great conversation, and that's what we're going to do here today. We're with Paul Dox Doggerty. That's it. That's me. This is Paul. Okay, so Paul is a serial entrepreneur. He's founded Smile Starter, Circle, Hummingbird Health, Hood, BRC Capital, and an amazing uh, array of investments and of energy and just taking the punt. Is that right if I say that, Docs? Yeah, go for it. I think he absolutely is one of the individuals in our in our city, in our state, in our country that absolutely goes for it. So, Docs, uh, what we'd like to do is have a conversation uh, and we, wa- we want people just to feel comfy. And as a result of feeling comfortable, who knows where we might end up. So we'd like to play a few sounds to you right now. Sure. So Fantastic. we've had fire, we've had beach, we've had yep. the bar, yep. we've had a boat, we've had woods. So which of those five takes you into the best conversation space? The bar. The bar. <laughs> <laughs> Magnificent. The bar wins. The bar. The bar's the winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good news. Okay, Good. so what I'd like you to right. do right now yes. is let's pretend that we're in a bar. Okay. Right, and we're going to have a great well, conversation. I've got a water here. So yeah, that's Magnif. A, yep. Absolutely perfect. So, Docs, tell us... Let's let's just go right back to the beginning. Uh, you're not even from these parts. I'm not. I'm from Canberra. I know, right. So yes. tell us about that. Well, um, I come from uh, you, you know Canberra is an interesting place, and I come from uh, my, my parents both were from out of town. My old man uh, is a Melbourneian. Uh, grew up on Albert Park Road, South Melbourne boy, and uh, and he went to Canberra with a public service. My mother was a nurse, born in Wombat. In New South Wales, right? She ended up uh, in Canberra, and then they met, and along came the family. So Pu- I grew up there. Public servant and a nurse. Public servant and a nurse. So up there in Canberra, there'd be a few of those sort of partnerships. There are. There would be a lot of those. <laughs> there are a lot of those partnerships. So yeah. tell me, in um, so am I right that sort of in the history of Melbourne, there's quite a lot of Canberrans are actually originally Melburnians because Melbourne is where the public servants were in the main housed. Um, in let's say the first half of the last century, is that, that is true? correct. That right. is correct. And so, and was your parent, your father's parents, were they in the public service world as well? No, no, they were they were totally different. But mm-hmm. they, but but yeah, that that was it. My mother, um, my, sorry, my grandmother, she was, um, she used to type at the trade unions hall, um, right. up the road, and uh, and my grandfather worked in laboratories. So, uh, but very similar. They were probably actually both government like institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then gave birth to dad, and obviously he, um, you know, he 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 travelled out when they moved when they moved uh, the the big departments. Mm-hmm. He went with it, the okay. par- Department of Army. Okay, so okay, well, he's an army man. He was, yeah. So is it Russell oh. Square? Yes, Russell okay. Square, and yes. that's where he worked. Yes. Jeez, and how many years did he put in there? Uh, only a couple. 
before he got uh, before he got sent on. Okay, and then yeah. what happened? So he went to uh, went to Canberra and he worked for the Department of Army and mm. then ended up uh, at Customs and that's where he did, I think, nearly forty years. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So this is one of the great mysteries for me about Canberrans. Um, given that the vast majority of people that live there are public servants, and given that the vast majority of the public servants came from Melbourne, how come you don't play footy? Well, this is the this is the irony of Canberra, as Russell. in AFL footy. Yeah, no. Well, they do play AFL footy. So I grew up in a in a environment where you had AFL, rugby league, rugby union, and soccer were really all equal sports. Right. But the big schools created the the rugby union, uh, the rugby union crew. Okay, and those big schools had a Sydney connection, then perhaps. Yeah, a lot, lot of them out of well, they were, they, it was it was more about the. Um, you know the the Christian brothers, for example, mm-hmm. um, the Maris brothers. It was more about the the the, the Catholic yeah. uh, side of things, and then and then the grammar schools. It was more about those than it was about Sydney. But yes, and we're located in a new, in New South Wales. Obviously, yeah. we're separate territory there, Russell. Mm-hmm. But, and we've got to be very co- careful <laughs> to say that. But we 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 absolutely. Um, uh, had to have that bleed from New South Wales, which is why where you've seen today um, the most successful rugby union um, uh, franchise in Australia has been the Brumbies, yes, right? Yes, of course. And and then the Canberra Raiders have had their own um, you know spectacular success over many years. So for a little place, it's 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 done exceptionally well. Okay, and rugby was always your thing. No, I was a little soccer boy, oh. and then I grew up and. When I got to the Christian Brothers School, my brother was playing rugby there. He was four years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And the principal there, who was the head of the Australian school boys, uh, he ended up um, saying to me, uh, well, I was in the line, you know, they get, get in your line. I got in the soccer line and he walked down the, down the line and he said, listen, son, uh, is your brother Simon? And I said, yeah. And he said... Get in the rugby line. So that was that was how my that was how my rugby career started. And careers are careers are by the way. No, word, no, 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 no. And mm. I probably should have preempted the question about rugby because the the listeners won't be aware that rugby is a big part of who and what you are. It is, yeah. Right. Absolutely. So tell us about that. Yeah. So look, I I uh, I played um, a lot of rugby. I, I played for uh, Canberra in their heyday, uh, both as a junior player and as a. Senior player, I played in the in the junior Australian sides and toured uh, toured with them. And then um, when I when I um, joined club rugby after after leaving school, I was eighteen. I joined a club called Easts there in Canberra, oh, which yeah. was yep. at the time a pretty strong uh, club. Had a few Wallabies at it. It's a and bit posh too, wasn't it? <laughs> well, no, we wouldn't say that if you went to the club, right? But uh, but I think um, it uh, you know it's really formed me, and I. It was my first time uh, travelling overseas. I went to Scotland and I did a year out. Oh, how good! Uh, yeah, it was so it was it was so fantastic, and it really started to shape me as a person. Came back and uh, and even though I played in that in that uh, in for, for for Canberra, their top uh, their top side, they were called the Kookaburras, then they became the Brumbies. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I played in that, I knew I knew I was I was not destined for um, further honours, as right. it were. And and then I got an offer to come to. Melbourne and captain coach the Melbourne University Rugby Football Club. So it's been my, it's been you know it's been part of my journey all the way through. That must have been a terrible time. 
Well, well, they hadn't won a game in eight years. Oh, so, man, uh, yeah, yeah. No, we got them back. But they played in the grand final three years later, oh, which man. we lost. <laughs> but, uh, but look, I had a lot of fun. And again, I met in that time someone from uh, Melbourne University who was uh, who was the head sort of camel vet. Uh, in in the United Arab Emirates, and so he he gave me the opportunity to go and play over there, which I then did in each off season. So I'd play the season here, and then I'd go over to the Middle East and play over there and coach and and train. And it just gave me another sort of you know journey in the in in life, and that's where I started our first my first business, yeah. which was um, a trading uh, camel veterinarian products over to over to the Middle East and for the racing camel community. That is completely and utterly mental. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I asked my parents at the time. They weren't very happy. Yeah. So say that again. So you, there's the camel racing industry over yeah, there. Yeah, it's a massive industry. It's a ma- I, I had no idea. Yeah. So just give us a quick insight into the camel racing industry. Yeah, well, so it's, it's, it's huge. It's all over the Middle East, and so they move their camels around. They're, they're much the same as horses. The difference in the camel racing industry is you can – uh, you've got artificial breeding. So um, all of the in vitro fertilisation, the drugs and associated drugs that go with that, of which Melbourne's been uh, a, a part of, you know, uh, in terms of the development of. Really? They were, yeah. And so they were in in high demand. In uh, And so the first, really the first time that um, that embryos were sort of, um, you know, cut in four and put in in multiple camels, um, and which which was really the... The process, which has been done in cattle for you know many many years, yeah. but was perfected in in um, in camels. It meant that the sheikh could have you know the greatest uh, bull and and the greatest female. They could get multiple embryos out of the out of the um, out of uh, you know one one female right. and then implant them in twenty others. So they were giving birth to uh, you know top camels, and then it really a social security system. So then the sheikh could then give one of those camels which had that lineage to another tribe, right? Or they could buy them or they could fund them. And and so that industry as it was, it was, you know, it was really the the, the social security. It was where the money got handed out through the from the shakes down into the communities. Absolutely brilliant. And this is still thriving? Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, yeah. Are there TV rights available? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Someone would pay for the TV rights. I don't but know a, who. But that must be extraordinary in terms of like the size of that industry in that part of the world. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a huge industry. Oh. Massive. And so do you, do you go back and have a look? Yeah, no. <laughs> to, to, the, uh, to, to the Middle East to have a look at the camel. So my assumption yeah. is, so you're in the trade, you were trading, yeah. um, but did you actually attend the races? Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was your stock in trade, right? Mm. So you went there and, and uh, you know, it had a reputation at that time and, and United Nations weren't particularly enamoured with them. They had, that, had a, a, you know, they had very little jockeys. And when I mean that, I don't, I don't like mean... Like proper little. Yeah, like, you know, kids little, right? And right. so lots of accidents and things happened and, and anyway, they ended up getting rid of it and they, they now race them with robots. On top? Correct. Really? Yeah. And they can be controlled by the 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 trainer who drives around on the on the truck. So the trainer's got no one to blame but himself. <laughs> no, that's or, right. Or herself. That's right. That's right. That's right. Or the camel, obviously, which could end up on the dinner table. Unlike our horses here, right? Right. So, really? Yeah. Okay. So that is extraordinary. There is something I didn't know. I didn't even know the industry existed, let alone the fact that yeah. you've been in it. Mm. So yeah, and that's where I met Jack Ingham, and 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 we started. 
um, working for the Ingham family. Um, okay. So I got into horses and... Okay, so keep telling us what then, then what happened. So Ingham, horses, yeah. back to town, back to this part of the world? Yeah, so, so, so that was uh, Middle East and then I left there after six years and came back. I got married to the bride who's... Um, uh, English, uh, and Georgina, can, and can sing by and the way, and can sing, yeah, and uh, and so we we went back to the UK and um, and we had a few months there, and then we came back, and I didn't have a job, didn't have anything really. It was really like, what's next? What's next in my life? Yeah, yeah. What am I going to do? And uh, she and I were just just married. We couch surfed with a few uh, few friends of ours. And, uh, and I ended up um, convincing a mate who was starting an energy company to um, give me a bit of money and stick me in the corner. And I thought I could build this utility aggregation business, this moving home style yes. business, um, because I'd ironically used that um, when, I, when we came back and, and got into our first house back here in, in, in Melbourne. So, so I'd, used, I'd used a competitor's service okay. um, and I thought... This is a really cool service, but it's very clunky mm-hmm. because they used faxes and other things, got all our data wrong. And I just said, well, if it had a if it had a little web page, you'd be a hell of a lot. It'd be a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> okay. And that was our innovation, right? So right. And that's how we started. Okay, direct, so you, in effect, you you, you digitised the process with yeah, direct. That was all we did. Yeah. Okay, and in digitising it, you were ahead, you were ahead of the curve. Yeah, and you started to gobble up a whole lot of customers pretty quickly, I believe. We did. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about that story. Yeah. So look, I think we we had a really good um, owner who said, "Get get pretty aggressive." I learned a lot of lessons out of them. Actually, one one was the discipline of of you know having the corporate structure sitting over you. Two was how do you actually apply yourself to markets when you can. And so part of that was really about being aggressive when we were, when we had the opportunity. So mm. we took a very big slice of that market became a very big energy channel big telco channel big insurance channel so we 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 then started to um muscle up and then we were then you know like all of these things were able to innovate again so we still then started to look at what what um what other technology we could use mm-hmm. um however our real benefit was to the energy channels which is we we were just a, a monty plug and play okay so um no trade secrets here but if you let's say you've got a hundred dollars in Direct Connect, yep. Just give me the percentages. So you put thirty percent into admin or forty percent into marketing. Have you got a bit of a rough outline on how you cut the numbers? Because my suspicion is that you might have over-indexed in marketing, which I think is a good thing, but I might be wrong. Yeah. Well, you you over-indexed in marketing only in that if you if your marketing category included the channel that you were working through. Right. So in a B two B sense. A lot of the money went back into the real estate channel, yep. and that was not just to incentivise them to do the things that we needed them to do to get your details to actually get it right. Because in effect, they're a marketing channel. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was it was close to sixty percent went back into that, and that was what drove it. Operationally, um, we had um, obviously a um, you know a significant call centre and mm. all the things that go with that, but it was really about how you did the front end, and if you're efficient and effective at that. And you and you knew how to build build relationships. Those two things absolutely hand in hand. If you look at the real estate industry and you look at you know realestate.com and domain and the mm-hmm. things that they've done, they've done those two things really well. So relationships is something which I know you are good at. I believe the parties were pretty good. <laughs> parties were parties were pretty good. Yeah, yeah. No, we we knew how to throw a party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear that the industry still talks about them. They do. And how, they m- do. how many years ago is that? Uh, so well, I left in two thousand and fourteen. Okay. Yeah. Not that long ago. 
No, no, not really. I, I left in two, well, so when I say I left in 2014, that's when we sold the. <coughs> go. When I left, well, I left into, when I, sorry, I'll start again. So that doesn't sound, that is not that long ago. No, so in, yes, in 2014, um, the business club together with Lumo Energy was sold to Snowy Hydro. And at that point in time, um, I stayed for 12 months to do transition. Mm-hmm. And in that 12 months, I finally took the plunge and did the Harvard AMP course, which I had been putting off for three years. The business had said, look, we'll pay for, pay for you to go, you know, so you don't get any change out of 100 grand on that one. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's just a big commitment, right? And it's seven weeks away from home and I had a little family, you know, kids mm-hmm. eight, six and four. So, um, you know, it was, a, it was a big exercise. And, but I had to do it because I needed the reset. I think the, the thing was I'd gone through sitting in a corner at startup, um, gone through all of the machinations in, through that, then we'd corporatized the business, mm-hmm. um, we'd, we'd structured it, we'd restructured it, we'd then put it together with, a, with another business in a sale process I had gone through that and said, okay, I'm, I'm, I've actually led that show, not, not too bad. Is that where I should be? Should I be in CEO land? I didn't actually know. Right. And so I had a great mentor um, of mine, uh, st- still, still a great friend, John Ralph, who was um, you know, the old uh, chair of Commonwealth Bank and he was the first uh, CEO of, uh, of Rio Tinto, you know, wonderful human being. Yep. And he said, you've got to go. And I was going, oh, I was umming and ahhing. Anyway, he said, you've got to go. Mm. And so... We, I took the plunge and then got there to that course and within the first week said, I've got to go back to startup. Right. First week. Good man. Yep. So mentors, I want to talk about mentors. Well, you brought up mentors. I've got a point of view about mentors. Everyone needs one. Everyone needs one. But the other thing you've got to do is you've got to listen to them. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? I think, yeah, yeah. And look, and I, I resisted it for a long time. I had a lot of um, really – and and. It's what format do they come in? Do they come in the formal format? Do they come in? And so I had, you know, the board, the the chairman of um, our our boards um, along the way. They were great people, great people that I, you know, thoroughly enjoyed talking to. But I didn't listen to them a lot. And uh, and so when I when I eventually got, you know, um, you know, railroaded into John, mm. uh, and it was a great friend of mine, actually an old Jesuit priest. Um, we were at a conference. And he said, mate, you need a mentor. And I said, oh, really? And he goes, yeah, you've got too much going on. Yeah. And so he goes, you should get well, – I'll, I'll put you with this bloke, old bloke over there. And I said, oh, yeah, I've been sitting next to him for the conference. Anyway, it happened to be John Ralph. And so we – John and I had a lovely chat. And then I would turn up and formally sit down and, and he would tell me stories and then he'd say, you tell me what's going on in your world. And then he would talk me through structurally how he dealt with things. And right. it was it was a really – it was it was uh, informal but but – he was very clear with his messaging. But you listened. I listened. That's very good. Yes. It's good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, so thank goodness you went to Harvard. A, that's great. But more importantly, you said, you know what, I, I want to be in the entrepreneur space. Yeah. So you've come back here. And it, was it Waver Magic Wand and BRC's created? No. So BRC was, a, was, a, was an, a, an add-on to that. What, what happened at Harvard was I met... Um, a guy called Gillard Garns, who is the um, was at the time the president of North America for Stratasys. They're the largest three D printing um, mm-hmm. company company in um, in uh, in the world. And when you when you go to the when you go to the um, Harvard lectures, they have 
three or four students that do a guest guest lectures and they work it out about week three who would be interesting so your last three or four weeks they put someone you have one a week and in the first two you know they have the they have at the front of the um, thing they have a little row that they 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 cordon off for the tenured professors to come and listen you know and one or two of them would turn up politely and when Gillard did his Where's 3D going, mm. every tenured professor sat there and I said, there's <laughs> got to be something in this. So uh, so I came back. I spoke to two really great mates of mine, a guy called Ken Shaw who runs, who you know, Russell, who runs um, Ortho Kids out in um, Surrey Hills. And he was right at the cutting edge of how do I scan and then get, a, get, get, get to 3D print. But right. he was, you know, he was really struggling to find that. And then I spoke to Toby Hall, a good mate of mine, who's the... CEO of St Vincent's Health and said, "What do you reckon?" And he said, "You got to come back and do that." Okay, so three D, three D was the first because BRC, it's not just a three D printing business, right? So just take us through, no. the, take us through the portfolio of BRC. Yeah, so the B- BRC's got uh, it's obviously got its medical uh, business, three D Meditech, which has then got Smile Styler and Circle and MediSwab, and then it has uh, its own um, business. Inside it, which is we're, at the moment we're working on a spinal implant project with Melbourne University and most recently have been appointed uh, Joint Research and Training Centre by the Victorian Government. So that, that's the sort of medical portfolio. Then we have the technology portfolio, which is where Hood sits, which is our moving market platform. So and that's sort of back to the old? Yeah, but back to the old, but, but how do we scale up globally? It was the Harvard challenge. So when I sat with the... You had to sit with a Harvard professor and go through a what's next for you in your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, why don't you globalise this? It's a great thing. Stop telling lies and being a channel and actually be a platform. So at that time, I <laughs> rang co-founder of Direct Connect yeah. while, I was, while I was still at, at the university and I said, we've got to do this together. So he'd, he'd already started the process of Hood. So that's our, our tech piece. We've then got a, a, a big distribution and, and manufacturing bit which sits in the middle, which is... Um, a, a business that uh, is about 21st century brands mm-hmm. and about sustainability, right? And that is the combination of Heat, which is a which is a big pharmaceutical distribution uh, business, and uh, Aware, which is you know Australia's leading um, manufacturer of sustainable um, soaps and hand creams and and uh, and and dishwashing liquid and all those sorts of things. And so we put those two businesses together, and that's a big distribution portfolio we're taking back to market um, uh, in, uh, in, in March, April next year. And, and then we've got the food portfolio, which is the premium food group, <laughs> which is our food portfolio, which is really, a, really in startup and incubator phase, but it's doing unbelievable things in, in, uh, in, in a, a sustainable foods. Unbelievable. So BRC is, um, would you call it like the holding company? Yeah, not, not really. It's probably mm. a bit more than that. So I think the so BRC so when we started the 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 two businesses so we had 3D Meditech which was just doing Smile Styler and Circle mm-hmm. and we had Hood mm-hmm. and we were starting to see the managers in those businesses and the entrepreneurs growing up and we said how are we gonna how are we gonna stay on top of this we've got a couple of um, principles in the BRC so portfolio but what what we essentially are is is an incubator and accelerator but we're very hands on yep. so. We are in control of the businesses that we operate within. And when I say control, we're in control of the cash, but we're also in control of the development of the entrepreneur or, in, in our case, in some of these, the manager. We're also in control of the strategy. So what are we doing? How are we going? Where are we going? Which links strongly back to managing the cash, mm. right? And then, and then we, are, we are really in control of what's the pathway to liquidity. 
So how do we take this over a five to seven year journey from concept or idea or business that's struggling and then put it together and take it to to liquidity? And that fundamentally we're of the belief that someone's going to be better at running this business than us and that'll be PE or or um, you know or other businesses or market facing businesses. So it's trying to get those businesses to that point, and they've got to get to a scale to get there. So we're largely the investors in those businesses in their first sort of two to three years, and then after that we have a whole range of um, really great investors that come along the ride with us. Okay, so there's three other things that I know you've you've got going on. You IPO man, you are you chair of the uh, rugby, the Rebels, and you've got a family. That is correct. So, how's your time management? Yeah, so uh, pretty good. So it's almost a lot, so almost like a, a, a philosophical way that we've, my wife and I have looked at our lives, and it's really the, it's really the, it, they're they're in everything. I had some great advice when I took on the role of the chair of the Melbourne Rebels because at that time, really, I was focused on the business. It was, uh, um, you know, four years ago now, and uh, and so I said to my wife gee, this is a big role, we need to talk about this. Mm. And I went and saw uh, a couple of great people. One was Anthony DiPietro, who's the chairman of Melbourne Victory, and the other was Andrew Newbold, who was the president of Mm -hmm. of Hawthorne. And both of them said to me, look, there's a lot of hours in this, but you're going to have to take your family on the journey. Um, you You can't separate those two things out. So that started a conversation between myself and my wife about, okay, so, you know, they've been watching me on the phone for the last, you know, however long I'd been married at that point in time, you know, 15-odd years, 16 years, they've been watching that process of me being on the phone, being part of business, but but also you know, in the family environment with mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. And then I couldn't separate myself out from this side. YPO, um, of which at the moment I'm the regional chair, um, at that time there was a lot of travel and, 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 and uh, a lot of events and a lot of things to go to. So it was really about uh, incorporating both my wife and the kids in those things. So to the games, to the functions, On I tra- travelled with all the kids, uh, you know, with the Rebels. We've taken them to YPO events. My wife and I have travelled overseas to the various things that are going on. So really creating a an ecosystem, I know it's an overused term, in terms of the way that we look at things. So we don't, we don't see the separation perhaps as much as others might, which is the, hey, I've got nine to five and I come home and this is that. We don't see that as much. We're... Because we're out at night and we're doing things and we're we're up and going, we see that as as one sort of family ecosystem. We're all involved. Love it. So you're an impact player, no doubt about that. So I want to talk about impact in the coming eighteen months. Uh, I want you to put yourself in a very senior position. I mean, you're already in one, but I'm th- I'm thinking right. You're the boss of everything, right? <laughs> I'm going to make you. The, yeah, you okay, are now officially right. the boss okay, of everything. Thank you. So we need to make an impact. Yep. So where would you point your effort? So are you talking, Russell, about impact on the world? Yeah. Okay, so what, maybe we step back a little bit because the, the impact piece starts at the very beginning of everything that you're doing, right? So when it's talking about formation of the businesses, it's talking about the way that the rebels uh, culturally um, lean and what their impact is on, on the world and the way that YPO develops and trains and builds and, and, de- and drives leaders... That that all starts at the front end, which is what are you what are you trying to get here? Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to if all any of those endeavours aren't purpose driven, don't start. That's the that's the fundamental truth, right? And and if you get that right, 
then your impact is going to increase every year as you go. So if I take 18 months out, I think our impact will be quite significant. In fact, it'll be so significant across a number of sectors. So in, uh, I'm not trying to sell here, Russell, but will I talk about this? Go for it. Yeah, so in, in, in Hood as an example, one of our, one of our um, pillars is, you know, um, do good, mm. right? So, so um, you know, Mission Australia, who we work with on the, on the homeless side, it really is we're about mo- people moving home and we should be doing something about homelessness. And so we're not going to cure or fix all of these things, but we can play an important component part in that. In the medical sector, same thing, right? I mean, by definition, you're starting to do things, but it's really about how do we drive patient outcomes and make those patient outcomes meaningful. And that is really about the use of technology, the way that we think about it, the way that we develop it, our partners, all of those things come into it. Same with food, right? How are we going to create Australian manufacturing, Australian jobs, but also using Australian produce in a sustainable way? And part of one of our Indigenous um, brands is all about that sustainability, bringing back Indigenous farming. And it's not a one-year project. It's a It's a three or four decade project but we just love the fact that this is a purpose-driven business and the 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 more it grows the more impact that it has and what we've found in all of those business segments is that we don't actually have to do a lot they are they for some reason take care of themselves in that purpose-driven piece so i've been speculating maybe with myself but with others that we might we might find ourselves in a couple of months time we, we look back and we go Geez, we wasted the crisis. What do you reckon? Uh, look, um, I, I still think there's an opportunity to really, really come out of this hard. And I'm not talking just in an, in an economic sense. I'm talking about across the board. So if you look at... I, I think we've got caught in this narrative, as we, as we all see, um, you know, controlling the media, which is, you know, there were winners and there were losers, and then you know, vaccination, unvaccinated, and then that giving life to a whole range of different things. I think how do we get out of that sort of angry pit yep. and then get to talking about what the future is? And I know you and I have talked about this a number of times, but it really it really comes back to who's actually helping us lead that, lead that narrative. Mm. And I know you've done a lot to try and lead that narrative. Um, it needs more. It yeah. needs governments to do that. Right. So, Docs, um, I just think that you... Uh, I admire you, um, and I know that those that are listening are going to really go, geez, he's pretty good, this fella. You really are. You're a great leader. Thank you, Russell. Um, great leader in our city and in our country as well. Um, and I really, really wish BRC all the very best. Your family, yourself, thank you very much for having a conversation with us on our Sayers podcast. You're a good man. Thank you, Russell. Pleasure. <laughs>